Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. Hello there, Internet. Welcome back to Real Psych. I am Dr. J.D. Barton, and I am a licensed clinical psychologist. And I am Dr. Joanna Witkin, and I am a cognitive neuroscientist. Real Psych is a new podcast where we give our completely unnecessary professional opinions on the lives, minds, and relationships in all of your favorite movies. Hey, J.D., will there be learning? Yes, ma'am. Will there be science? Yes, sir. Will there be delightfully informal conceptualizations about the minds of non-real people from two best friends who would be talking about this anyways? Yes, Dr. Wickin. <laughs> Welcome back. Welcome back to us and to you all listening in. We've gotten some really incredible comments, right? Yeah. Y'all are listening and liking it, and it is so nice to hear. So the the DMs and the texts and the skywriting <laughs> and the the, the snail mail the gifts the, yeah just the unending uh, gift the the train. swag <laughs> the swag i got to say the glamour of podcasting i didn't imagine it would be quite so glamorous but it's true it's a lot of it's a lot in the beauty industry mm-hmm. it's a lot of just people saying like here have this hair twizzler yeah, especially because, you know, we can promote it on the podcast. We, we promote hair twizzlers <laughs> ad nauseum. I mean, all of our ads are for the beauty biz. Visual <laughs> improvements. I, I think it's because of our own visual beauty. I think yeah, that it's true. one of those things. I mean, the people listening, for the most part, don't know about that, but they should trust us. We, Joanna, we you it. and I having a podcast and pretending like it'll be about anything other than physical beauty is... <laughs> You know, that was silly. You know, I will say on a serious note, we were talking about, like, you're a clinician. I am not a clinician. Some of these comments about uh, kind of the impact of of listening to this and Mm -hmm. finding it helpful or resonating with it. You know, I'm sure you've, like, come across in your practice, but I haven't experienced that before. So it actually feels, Mm -hmm. like, very cool and special. Um, It's been really, really nice for me to, to hear that. Yeah, and, you're, and I really appreciate you saying that, too, because you're right. I do get to hear, like, thank yous. Or even yeah. if I don't hear a thank you, I get to see, like, wow, this person is less anxious than they were. This person right. is having an easier time, and that is its own kind of reward. Yeah. And it's nice, especially it's really amazing to hear you all say this, because we re- literally, you know, we record this thousands of miles away from each other, mm-hmm. and we, we then edit it with just, like, headphones on our laptops and things, and so it can feel very insular. Right. And so it's nice to hear that our little conversations are having some sort of impact on people. I mean, I'm I'm also just still wrapping my head around the fact that I know stuff sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) 
it's funny, right? Because yeah. we're so used to being in spaces where everyone is like, if the only thing you talk about are the thing you are absolutely a total expert in. Yeah. And we're talking about a lot of things on this podcast that we have some knowledge of. We have more knowledge of than necessarily like the lay audience or the average mm-hmm. person. But because we spend our time in circles where the people are, where you only contribute if you are one of the like foreign, foreign, foremost Foreknown, <laughs> the foreknown, one of the foreknown experts. Four, one of the four known experts. Because there's only allowed to be four, famously yeah. in academia. Yeah. yeah, yeah. My favorite is that three of them have to be men. <laughs> <laughs> As a general rule, they gotta change that. They gotta be taken seriously. <laughs> <laughs> they gotta change that. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what. I Listen, feel like I'm the first emails. person to say that, so I mean, I'll just I'll get on that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you heard it here, folks. <laughs> this is where I mean, this is, and I don't want to take too much credit, but I did teach you about feminism. That's last week. true. That's so true. I really I did a lot of reflecting. I sent you one of the DMs actually about our podcast and how much it affected me. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. changed your life. I mean, it didn't not do that. I, I mean, I, I learned a lot from, like, it, seriously, I learned a lot from you, like, when we do the podcast, you know? I learned, I've learned a lot from you. I yeah. also, yesterday was so impressed with myself to remember the term doxastic shear pin. <laughs> <laughs> That's a throwback for it all y'all who have been listening Encanto. since, oh yeah, I was going to say since the beginning. Nope, no. since three weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. Yeah. Well, Joe. Yeah, let's let's do this. Let's get into it. <laughs> um, it is my turn to pick this week. Mm-hmm. Um, I chose something older. It Ooh. is from 1961. Okay. Oh. Yes. It is so old that taglines, the way that we have come to know them, didn't really exist that way. <laughs> right. Um, so <laughs> I had to look at syn- a synopsis. Um, okay. That seemed okay, okay. sort of, I mean, I think you'll get it, but sort of general in the sense that maybe it's, it's vague enough that this will be fun. Uh, sure. <laughs> okay. So uh, the synopsis. A young New York socialite becomes interested in a young man who has moved into her apartment building, but her past threatens to get in the way. Okay. So I've never seen this. I know that for a fact. <clears throat> I, but I'm just going with 1961 and I'm going to make some guesses. Mm-hmm. Uh, is this like Breakfast at Tiffany's? It is. Okay. <laughs> All right. I just yeah. was like, single girl, 1961. I know. I mean, it's, it's like the the movie about this. I, I actually truly, for a million dollars, which I suppose is like an absurd thing to say, but in my life, it's actually a possible thing. <laughs> I, I would not have been able to answer that. Uh, like, I would not have been able to tell you what that movie was about. If you... Really? Yeah. Like reverse you said it. question? Yeah. Yeah. Reverse question is like, what is Breakfast at Tiffany's about? I would have been like, it's about a girl. It's <laughs> about a girl. She's wandering around and there's a guy there too. Sort of. Yeah. So this movie, I wanted to choose something older. Um, yeah. I wanted to choose, obviously, it's streaming. It's streaming on Amazon Prime. Okay. I'll uh, ask my sister Debbie for her password. Yeah. It's not like an additional cost. It's like comes with Prime. But... I, I watched this movie a bunch when I was younger, and there's there's all these, like, funny fan theories, too, about, like, is Holly, Holly Golightly is Audrey Hepburn's character. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like, is she... Famously. A, a prostitute, or, like, a... There's, like, all of what? these... What? 
Yeah. A sex like, worker. A sex worker, yeah. There's also like some very interesting uh, racial... Lee not okay things with Mickey Rooney. Oh, wow. Plays a, okay. A, a oh, like, he plays the Asian guy in yes. this. Okay, I knew he played uh, an Asian person in a big film. Yeah, I will say, uh, you know, my efforts to choose an older movie, it's very hard to find one that, like, doesn't have anything oh, absolutely. problematic. So just, you know, naming that here. I mean, Jimmy Fallon did blackface on Saturday Night Live. Like, right, it yeah. is not, we're yeah. not far removed oh, from... Oh, no, no, no. I mean, 30 Rock, like, that was Oh my gosh, years yeah. Ago. Anyways, I think this is a good movie just because I think it is very vague about Holly's past okay. and where she's coming from and what her motives are and what she's trying to accomplish. And there's like, all right. you know, like, it, I mean, it's all through the lens of this kind of doofy guy who's like obsessed with her and it's kind of whatever. But, you know, the all original, right. I, the original uh, Manic Pixie Dream Girl. Yeah. 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 The mod, mod Panic Pixie. I don't know. Whatever. I think it could be interesting. Yeah, I know. I'm super excited. It's yeah. also just like a it's a decade we haven't touched on. Mm-hmm. It is like a it is such a classic film that like the audience listen. Spoiler alert: If you pause now, if you don't want us to give everything away in the synopsis after this break, but you've had you know fifty um sixty, 60 years, years to yeah. sixty one years, sixty one years <laughs> to to watch it. And if you haven't, now's your moment in the thirty seconds. But while we take this break from a word for our not yet existent sponsor. <laughs> we'll be right back. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, America and the world. We are back. Also, Low-key shout-out to our international listeners. We see you on the analytics. All four of you. There's more than four. (laughs) No, I know. It's pretty There's more than four countries where people are downloading us. I feel very international. It's pretty awesome. Very. We're back. Okay. Suffice it to say, we saw this movie. is not how I recalled it. I will tell (laughs) you that right now. (laughs) Okay. I had never seen it. I had no idea. There you go. Yeah. Okay. So the way I... You got to pay attention to this one. <laughs> the way I recalled this movie was like from childhood. My sister was obsessed with Audrey Hepburn. Sure. Because she's glam. But she's beautiful. I, I just thought this, the way I remembered it was just like, oh, she's this like, you know, uh, mysterious socialite who uh-huh. just, you know, loves partying and doesn't want to, I don't know, she's like this free spirit, right? And then she gets with the guy in the end, basically, and there's a cat and racism. And that was how a I remember. A cat named Cat. A cat named Cat. I do think it needs to be named like the Mickey Rooney of it all. Uh, it's so. It's maybe the worst thing I've ever just seen. It's oh, just girl, so we gotta bad. watch more old movies. <laughs> it's so. They bad. could offend you way more than that. Ugh. I mean, it's disgusting. It's. It was hard horrendous. to watch. Like it was really hard. It's to really watch. hard to watch. It's really um, offensive. So I want to just like name it now, and then we're just maybe not gonna. Yeah, I mean. Uh, just to name that like this is for all the reasons it is wrong for all the reasons it is wrong because it is a of all an asian character that is a caricature that is an offensive caricature it is being played by a white man which again makes more silliness of asians it's further othering of asians um he's also ugly 
He is also like he is like deeply sexually attracted yeah. to uh, Audrey Hepburn, and she's able to manipulate him with her wiles because, of course, he should think of her as the standard of beauty. Right. It's bad. It's bad for every single reason that it's bad, and he is not a real character. That is not a what a real presentation of Asian people in any way. Or humans, so he, really. Of humans, yeah, at all, and so we're not even gonna talk about him in terms of what is his brain because his brain is a racist caricature made up in the mind of white people. Yeah, gross. Okay, I wanted to get that out of the way. <laughs> let's yeah, let's clear the air. We're not gonna talk about him beyond saying that it is repulsive. Yeah. So yeah, the way this movie actually starts is you see, you know, Audrey Hepburn kind of go through her life, and sh- you can tell that she has a lot of dalliances with men and. Yeah. Um, she kind of, I mean, to your point, like she kind of charms every man around her and kind of does what she wants and uh, lives this very kind of carefree lifestyle. And there's this neighbor who moves in upstairs, automatically charmed by her because of Paul, course. What Paul was Varjak. Paul Varjak. I was yeah. like, Paul Van, Van Jack? Paul Varjak. <laughs> Varjak. Uh, Fred. You see earlier. V A R J A K. Varjak. <laughs> He spells that a lot. Oh my god, the library scene with like the old cards. I the whole library, the whole everything. Yeah, love it. Um, yeah, so Paul moves in upstairs and is immediately the first thing that happens is he has to wake her up at 10 a.m. on a Thursday. Oh, is it Thursday? <laughs> Wakes her up at 10 a.m. on a Thursday. She opens the door half naked uh, to figure out who she has just let into the apartment building. Good move, Holly. Yeah. And then he says, "By the way, can I use your phone?" And she lets a strange man into her apartment, which is wild. That to me, just even that, I mean, first of all, it starts with her coming in. Oh, no. No, no, it starts with that, too, right? The very first thing we get is Nikki Rooney. It starts with a guy, like, chasing her into the building. And a man chasing her. She, she, yeah. Yeah. She's she's running from men, but then letting men into her space, which is, I already, like, just starting this film, I'm worried for her safety. Like, isn't that interesting? I, yeah, okay, we could... I want to talk about that. <laughs> yeah, we will. Okay, let's let's buzz through this synopsis. Yeah, yeah. So she meets this guy Paul. She calls him Fred, which mm-hmm. is her brother's name because he looks a bit like her brother. Yeah. Interesting, weird sexual tension yeah, about that. Fun. Yeah. They start to build a friendship. There's crazy wackadoo parties. We discover that Paul is in fact being paid by a yeah, woman. They, they have a common understanding between them. They are both sex workers. Yeah. Uh, essentially, although she, yeah, she's fifty dollars for the powder room. Which I <laughs> can I just say. Did not understand what that meant the entire movie. Googled it afterwards and was like, oh, duh. Right. I, <laughs> I wasn't sure until the end when he gives her the check. Right. And he says, I forgot to pay my $50 for the powder room after. Sorry, spoiler alert. Uh, after. So they get to know each other a little bit. She then has this man come who she who he discovers is her annulled husband. Yes. Uh, who is with his four kids from a previous marriage. He basically adopted her at 14, but adopted her when she was 14 years old as his wife. Yeah, oh my God. And she left at 18 and went to the big city, made up this name. Uh, her name was Lula May. Mm-hmm. And she changed her name to Holly. Her last name was Go, her married last name is Go Lightly. Her brother has joined the army and. This ex-husband tries to get her to come home, and then when she says no, he says that he will not allow her brother to come back and stay with him if she doesn't come back. And so she decides to reach out and have her brother um, come stay in New York. Yeah. She'll she'll find a place for him, and things move forward. She sleeps with Paul, 
They have a lovely little day of cute things that we'll talk about it a little more in context, but a cute little day out. They end up, you know, kissing and then he wakes up shirtless. So that means they've they've slept together mm-hmm. and he can't find her and she's gone missing and he discovers her reading books about Brazil and, and finds out that she has moved on to another suitor, another wealthy man who's a Brazilian uh, dignitary and is hoping to be a Brazilian, the president of Brazil. So she's going to build a life with him in Brazil. You, you see this throughout, throughout the movie of, of her kind of keeping Paul at arm's length, playing with him a bit and pursuing men, men. as opportunities to increase her, her status and wealth and provide her some stability. Right, right. And this last one is this Brazilian guy who she's coming for. There's another guy named, what's his name? Like Rusty, Rusty. Buckets? Rusty Gru- Rusty Grundles? What's his last name? <laughs> Rusty something. I don't know. It'll... The ninth richest man in the, in America under, under 50. Under 50, yes. And he, uh, yeah, that doesn't work out. And she then is like moving on and saying, sort of pushing Paul away now. They have a fight. Then she comes home and starts freaking out. Uh, she's got a telegram that her brother has died. This Brazilian guy is like, why is she going crazy? And I mean, she goes, she starts throwing things, breaking things, smashing things, oh, ripping yeah. pillows, like really, really flies off the handle, um, as one is certainly welcome to do when they dis- discover this kind of grief and loss. Yeah. I mean, spoiler alert, it will come up in future conversations on this podcast. <laughs> but uh, she decides that she, oh, there's this weird legal thing. She was like one of the guys she had a dalliance with uh, has been paying her weekly and he's been in prison. He's kind of like Al Capone. Like he got caught on tax something, evasion. Freddie Tomato or something. No, something. Freddie to- to- Tomato. Tomato guy. Tomato. Yeah, like Freddie Tomato. No, no, not Fred. There's already too many Freds. I know. Wait. I'm... Uh, uh, anyways, he gets she gets brought in now as like an accessory to this. And it's, you know, she's scared and whatever. And so she decides she's going to escape to Brazil. Paul is like, don't go to Brazil. I own you because I love you. I love you and therefore I own you. I think he literally says that you're mine. Yeah, I, we got to talk about that part. You um, belong to me. That's it what he is says. It is Sally Tomato. Sally Tomato. And then the guy that uh, the ninth richest man in America under 50 is Rusty Trawler. Rusty Trawler. Rusty Trawler. Rusty yes. Trawler. So she then decides to she and paul are in a taxi and he says i love you therefore you belong to me that will also come up in this podcast yep i have thoughts and then uh last thing is she tries to like reject him and reject everything and reject cat her cat named yeah yeah she's like i need to fly free and go to brazil and do my own thing cat get away you know get away i have no time she stops in the cab gets out goes back finds the cat finds paul they kiss it ends fiend <laughs> so that's the synopsis i really i actually this movie there's so many details that come out in these scenes it's in unbelievable such like an underplayed I, yeah, way yeah that i actually had to google like i was like let me get like a good holly golightly biography well it's a, a truman capote capote it's a truman capote novel no, yeah novel a man directed it this movie yes. i believe um uh, you think <laughs> i i read a little bit i mean this is like i don't know more film theory and analysis and not psychology but i read a little bit about like the feminism of it all and the way okay. that this takes place in the age of the feminine mystique and kind of the second wave yeah or, you know feminism white feminism um this is second wave feminism i don't know what i actually don't like... know how the waves work me neither okay this might be completely wrong this is off the cuff but i thought first wave was like 
suffrage. <laughs> Second wave oh, is yeah. like the 60s. Third wave is like Roe v. Wade. Oh, totally, totally, totally. So that is that my, makes sense. Yeah, I mean, so we're gonna agree for this podcast, listeners. Just, please yeah. feel free to send us some DMs I would love about to be your waves that. Yeah, I would of love, feminism. Yeah, yeah. That. Anyways, you know what? I'll allow it. <laughs> Thank you so much, <laughs> um, sir. And so, okay. So there's a lot of interesting thing about the the feminism. You know, is she a feminist icon or is she a trope used by men as you know kind of this one-dimensional character that's just like bounced around Mm. from men in this movie and taken care of um i will say i found a quote by truman capote to playboy Mm. uh Uh that said uh holly was a symbol of all these girls who come to new york and spin in the sun for a moment like mayflies and then disappear i wanted to rescue one girl from that anonymity and preserve her preserve her for posterity and I feel like that really encapsulates the tone with which she is portrayed. Yeah. Of like, yeah. you know, because there's this whole like free spirit bird, you know, she, she cannot belong to anyone. She needs to be right. free, like this right. whole kind of desire. And really, I mean, feminist d- desire to like be one's own keeper kind of. Um, but she has relying on men throughout this movie i mean there's constantly men who are coming and saving her she's really portrayed as this helpless woman who like these men are benevolently assisting Assisting. yeah which has its own power in a way like she chooses to hold them at arm's length yeah it's an interesting tension um but even like the way that paul interacts with her of just like even when he's standing up to this woman that he is being paid by you know the older like woman that he's having an affair with And he's saying, like, I want to take care of her, you know, and that's the prevailing kind of desire that he has for her. And you belong to me. She is helpless. Yeah. And so I feel like, uh, you know, some people were kind of interpreting, like, there was an opportunity with this movie for her to say, go to Brazil or say to, like, end kind of flying off into the sun, doing your own thing. But they really just rein it back and do the stereotypical guy gets girl you know, in the book, she does. Oh, does she? She goes to Brazil. I did not know that. And she, and with without the plan to be with this man, she just goes. Okay, well, I would have liked the book a lot better, I think. Well, <laughs> I mean, and here's the thing. The book is written by a gay man, uh, famously, very gay man, which, again, still not a great portrayal of women, yeah. but a step in a better direction than the straight guy a, a confused who directed it. step but like a step a confused step or or i don't even know who directed it and his sexual orientation but certainly the hollywood executives who greenlit this film yeah needed her to get with the man to get wise yeah it's definitely like a this blonde tall man yeah blue eyes yes yeah you know one of the things that i read a little bit about as well was this interesting thing where in a way at the time you had your like your uh, Jane Mansfields, you had your mm-hmm. Marilyn Monroe's. Mm-hmm. So this very like curvaceous, buxom woman mm-hmm. was the standard of beauty. And Audrey Hepburn was actually a very quirky kind of beautiful, ah. which was not such like a central center of the road. Like we think of her as one of the most classically beautiful women. Yeah. But this sort of wayfish thin beauty and they really do that there is a scene where they go to a strip club and a very curvaceous large large breasted woman is dancing and you see her sort of see this and and it does sort of paint that she is not that right she is not that woman there's this juxtaposition there 
Yeah, that they're highlighting. <laughs> Sorry, I just said juxtaposition in my head. <laughs> I am perfect. I hate it so much, but you, I heard it when you said it, and I was like, and then you didn't laugh, and I was like, oh. Oh, like I you thought, thought you that's said, what I was saying? I like, thought you said juxtaposition. Oh, dang. And I was like, that's the funniest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> it would have been funny, Dan. Well, it is now. Yeah. We'll edit it so the audience hears that as purely funny. Yeah. Okay, so that was kind of like this, <laughs> what is the feminist undertones of this film? And I think yeah. the way that I kind of came away from it is like, like it's it's kind of but kind of not and i think the discrepancies between the the novel and the film make a lot of sense the only thing that is feminist about it is that it's about a woman and she's not your average normal i honestly i think one of the taglines or whatever the marquee thing is was like Audrey Hepburn as you've never seen her before or something like that. Like that's like right. The, well, the vibe. this is quite a an interesting character. Yeah. I mean, she is, I, and I don't. I'm, this is certainly not uh, a research thing, but certainly one of the first like famous cinematic manic pixie dream girls. Uh, yeah, I would say. And for those who don't know, the manic pixie dream girl is a trope throughout cinema that you've seen a million times. It's Sandy in L.A. Story, which Sarah Jessica Parker is the Manic Pixie Dream Girl in that. Uh, Natalie Portman in Garden State. Um, we talked about it a little bit with Runaway Bride of this yeah, sort of she's weird a little bit prototype. Of that. Yeah, right, I'm I'll weird. You're it. quirky. Yeah. It's that. It's, yes, the, it's exactly. the second part. It's I mean, the anything part. Uh, Zoe... The Virgin Suicides. Yeah, anything Zoe Deschanel has ever done. Ugh, 500 Days of Summer is like such the like... Yeah. Um, What's that one with the car- the comic um, with Michael Sarah and Oh Scott Pilgrim yeah, versus yeah, the yeah, World? Yeah. yeah. You know what's funny is I was about to say Scott Pilgrim versus the World, and you were like, "What's the one with that?" And I was <laughs> I like, "Oh wait, cut no, you off to be first. confused." Yeah. No, it's fine. It's great. <laughs> Our brains are just so aligned. I know. Uh, yeah. No. I, so you know, one of the things that I looked at actually was this. I know I'd say I'd try not to have a very diagnostic framework, but I actually looked at this from a point of like, okay, what are we seeing here? Like mm-hmm. if this if this person sat in my office, what would I think? So I did my research looking at the Manic Pixie Dream Girl as sort of a concept and how would that map on to other personality profiles, specifically what we really think of as personality disorders. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think that there's sort of this interesting portrayal that goes on with her where I actually think the Manic Pixie Dream Girl is a cinemified, glamorized version of what we think of as borderline personality disorder. No, you're gonna say that. Yeah. Um, the symptoms of borderline personality disorder uh, in the DSM include uh, an unstable sense of self, a frantic fear of abandonment, issues maintaining interpersonal relationships, suicidal or self-harm behaviors, which also could include very high-risk behaviors, Mm. mood instability, feelings of emptiness, dissociation, outbursts of anger, and impulsivity. So this framing of borderline personality disorder is the disordered perspective, right? Mm. It is the the problem-based format of, you know, the the very negative side that we're going to see in the DSM, right? It's the, you come to therapy when it's not working. So we, we identify the problems based on what's not working. So if you look at something from the positive side, from the flip side, from the good side of these things, right? 
an unstable sense of self, somebody who fits in in a lot of different places and is happy to try on a lot of different personalities. Mm -hmm. Frantic fear of abandonment can also be a really quick, easy uh, manner and willingness to get attached. Yep. Issues maintaining interpersonal relationships, often the, the word is maintaining, not finding, not starting, yeah. right? Mood instability, really high highs, mm -hmm. really low lows, right? A lot of this, so uh, this, the, the flip side, the warmth, right? Um, it, impulsivity can come across as being quirky and spontaneous and interesting. So I think what we're, what we see in these manic pixie dream girls and the, the, the interesting thing is like that it's this male fantasy version of women mostly women and again a borderline personality disorder is a diagnosis that is almost in uh, the vast majority of people diagnosed with borderline personalities uh are women mm -hmm. um it's there's you can even hear in just the way the the language of it right yeah. is very um it is just really sexist mm -hmm. a lot of these sort of what we'd call like hysterical right That's you know reactions thinking. hysteria 2.0 right which uh histrionic personality disorder is another disorder but that is um a little less of this like quote like uh, emotional volatility mm. so the thing that that these movies do is they really glamorize this version of this girl who is always down to get a drink is impulsive is happy to just like sell her uh, sell all of her belongings and move to france mm -hmm. Or whatever. Also, the girl that you that holds you at arm's length, right? She yeah. is she struggles with these interpersonal boundaries, so she'll hold you at arm's length in a way that is very effective at getting you to want more of her. Right. She has this sort of um, helpless attitude toward the world, and you know, I, I I'm really hesitant to even talk sometimes about things like borderline personality because it has such a negative right connotation, right? People. There are therapists who will openly say bad things about people with borderline personality disorder. There are people that are ther there are therapists that will talk about other people in their lives and diagnose people in therapy that aren't in the room yeah. with borderline personality disorder, yeah. which is not fair. And it ends up really giving this dark, dark view. One of the I, I found an article that was uh, by a woman who said, please don't like glamorize my mental health. And is essentially saying like they're the ways that people look at these like manic pixie dream girls as so glamorous um, is a problem. But she was like, but when I try to look up information and this is the, the segue that I failed terribly just now, the way that she when she first looked up borderline personality disorder, she typed in borderlines. And the first thing that came up was borderlines are evil. Oh, wow. So there's this belief that these volatile, this volatility in these relationships or that um, the instability of their, their life, their livelihood um, makes people with borderline personality disorder bad people. Mm -hmm. And I think what we really need to understand is that what's happening is these are people that have found a lot of unhelpful ways to get their needs met, but they work. They work yep. sometimes for a very short time, but sometimes very, very well in that short time. Yeah. Um, one of the things that she said that like really sat with me is like the ways in which the media has looked at the Manny Pixie Dream Girl is like by saying things like uh, Howard Stern has said like uh, he said something to, to Lindsay Lohan when she was being interviewed. Um, I don't know that she has borderline personality disorder. I think she came out as having bipolar disorder, but I'm not. This is uh, yeah, just, I don't I don't remember. But, 
he was saying, he said something to her. He goes, you know, can you explain to me why is it though that crazy girls are always the best in bed? I remember so, that, yeah. Yeah, so like these kinds of, these kinds of conversations, right? This manic pixie dream girl, right? Who's like this idea of like, she's so wild. She's so unstable. She's so yada, yada, yada. But I can save her. Right. Just builds this view that A of all men are the solution when a lot of the time men are the problem. Something like 70% of people with borderline personality disorder have a history of assault in their Mm -hmm. life. Not necessarily sexual assault, assault or abuse. So not necessarily through from men either. But they're, what we're essentially seeing and is so nicely laid out in this film is like Audrey Hepburn has a tr- history of trauma. Absolutely, yeah. And, and again, this is not to say everyone who has trauma has unstable relationships, everyone who has trauma has, but we are naming this, this girl with her little brother mm-hmm. at 14 is orphaned. Mm-hmm. They were in the, the system. Well, yeah, because the doc, uh, go lightly, uh, was saying that they were somewhere before they went to his farm with him and it was yeah. bad. Yeah. So there's like bad. whatever her actual like parental situation was and then maybe, you know, like I, I'm not sure what happened, but it sounds like it was, yeah. it was bad. So not yeah, great. I was absolutely thinking And then about he that. marries her at 14 and he already had four kids from a previous marriage. Ugh, I didn't like that. So part. at 14 being like, surprise, you're a mom and your old and husband. You're welcome. And you're welcome, Lula May. Yeah. And so this 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 kind of way in which she has fled from her life, I mean, makes a lot of sense. Um, and it and it just gives this like picture where she is somebody who she has reinvented her name. She has you know this unstable sense of self. Mm-hmm. Right. We see these emotional outbursts. Like we we could see all of these things. But the problem is that the the that this stigma plays out so much more harshly for women with borderline personality because they're just labeled crazy. Right. They're just labeled crazy women. Like the, the which is one one of the things I loved about the show Crazy Ex Girlfriend. I know which that's of course what I was just thinking is, of. Uh, right. I think they did such a good job. They did a great job. So in this, in this, which of course the name is a deeply sexist name, which they even name in the in the theme song. I mean, They're manic, like, no, that's a, manic, that is a sexist trope. Pixie, dream girl, manic, like it's all, you know. Yeah, exactly. Right. Uh, that's a good point. Yeah. Um, but she in it, the character uh, that Rachel Bloom plays uh, in the th- second or third season comes out as having borderline personality disorder i mean yeah that show i think about a lot actually because the way that they they show her journey of like you see the behaviors first you see the the wake that she leaves behind her the way that like things keep going wrong and then they wait until the third yeah it's the third season to be like okay what's actually going on here in a way that's her seeking help for herself not like oh everyone's doing that for her and you know what i mean like it's I thought they did such a good job of highlighting that at a point when you could see kind of the behaviors that led up to that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And so I do want to like, well, and I think you, your, your stuff is going to play into this too, because what we really need, what we're really seeing is people seeking 
care. People who yep. need love, they need attention. And a lot of times what we see in like borderline, uh, a parent with borderline personality disorder is this like need to control mm-hmm. through sort of an uh, uh, centering all, all things on their own emotions, which is a very common reaction from a parent to a child. Um, it, it's a very common thing in these relationships where they do get very close that then um, when something threatens them, they sort of flee. Yeah. And so it really becomes this like question of like attachment and right. how one is attaching. So that that is what I kind of looked into. Um, and I looked at attachment styles in adult romantic relationships specifically, which are obviously based on like Ainsworth's attachment theory of like infancy. Right. And I don't know if you've right. you've studied that right a little bit. A little bit, yeah. I've studied Ainsworth's uh, attachment styles. Um, we've talked about them a little bit before as well. Um, yeah, we've... you know, and there's these kind of three styles, right? There's like mm-hmm. secure, avoidant, insecure, ambivalent, mm-hmm. insecure. And these are based off of this stranger uh, study. Parent-stranger studies, yeah, yeah. Yeah, where they have like a parent in the room and then the parent leave and then a stranger in the room and then the stranger leave. Yes. Um, and they see that, you know, the the avoidant child or infant will behave as if they are unaffected, but they actually have done like physiological measurements and see that their their heart rate is elevated. They have like mm-hmm. autonomic arousal. And so it's this this even in infancy, this idea of like I'm acting like I'm unbothered, but I really am. You know, and then this yeah. ambivalent insecure, which is, you know, they're they're upset when the parent leaves. And then when they come back, there's there's almost a tantrum. There's a, a inability to, like, accept their uh, care right away because they're mad. There's there's an anger yeah. there. Um, yeah. And so these uh, kind of were studied in adults, uh, which obviously, you know, come from parental attachment styles they're derived from that Um, but there are kind of four attachment styles that have been identified in adult romantic relationships and they are uh, kind of across two dimensions so there's a anxiety about abandonment is one of Mm -hmm. these main dimensions so you know desire for extreme closeness reliance on others to maintain a sense of Uh, Mm self-worth and then there's an avoidance of closeness it's really a push-pull right Avoidance of closeness, discomfort with closeness, and interdependency. And so those kind of, you know, you have like a, a, a graph kind of, you know. Punnett square. Yeah, you have your two your two dimensions and that therefore kind of four quadrants that have four attachment styles. So there's secure, which is, you know, low anxiety, low avoidance, comfort being close, don't feel excessive worry about abandonment. There's preoccupied, so high levels of anxiety, low levels of avoidance. They want to be close with their partners. Uh, they worry a great deal about their relationships and their partner's feelings for them. There's dismissing avoidant, so high on avoidance, low on anxiety, preferring not to get close to partners, not worried about the strength and stability of their relationships. Um, and then there's fearful avoidant, so high levels of both anxiety and avoidance, worry about relationships and you know avoiding opening up to their partners to protect against that rejection. Right. Mm-hmm. So I was thinking about these kind of four different styles, thinking about where Holly Golightly falls along here. Um, and I, I like I have I'm not totally sure. Right. I mean, I, I yeah. feel like it's maybe the dismissing avoidant where, you know, it's like 
not getting close, like pushing people away. Right. But you, there is this this anxiety, this fear of abandonment that you can tell, right? So it's like it's avoidant for sure, but whether it's dismissing or fearful, I think is what I had a hard time distinguishing between. Um, well, and you know, one of the nice things is you, if she were real, we we could ask, right? Like, I know. Are you... Yeah. And I think it might be a little bit of both. I mean, I think these are, you know, this is a dimensional. Sure. It's not a, it's not, it's a fluid thing. It's a dynamic thing. It's not a, uh, you know, static kind of assessment. I did see this other article that looked at, you know, uh, affect regulation or emotion Uh regulation depending on attachment styles. Right. Oh, okay. I really, I mean, you know. The avoidant attachment I focused on because I thought she kind of fell more. She, yeah, she, I in, think she's in that very camp. much avoidant. Um, mm-hmm. And so you know these like they're unsure of their feelings. They've learned to d- deny or suppress their feelings. Um, they kind of lack emotional self knowledge. Um, and so there's like uh, this uh, engaging in non intimate sex with casual partners to maintain emotional distance. Um, that's one of these kind of emotion regulation strategies yeah. uh, using alcohol to quell anxiety and tension. Yeah. So it's not even like to uh, avoid negative feelings, but it's also enhancing kind of positive emotions, which made me think yeah. about that big party scene that, that she had. That party is that crazy. That was wild. Um, you know, and it's just like you kind of in denial. You, know, you can see her seeking out alcohol several points throughout oh, the yeah. movie at one point she says let's go get drunk yeah and do not let me come home until i am drunk oh that's what she says yeah that's right. and i was mm-hmm. like whoa and they go to a strip club yeah um you know so so there's avoidant individuals uh you know maybe more likely to use alcohol to cope uh with these negative emotions and to enhance positive emotions it's really like they want both. yeah um there's also some uh eating disorder kind of oh, okay correlations that they did um because there are, you know, individuals with anorexia report uh, having more distrust in others and difficulty interpreting internal states like negative emotion. Yes. yes. And so that's something that kind of aligns with with uh, avoidant people with avoidant avoidant attachment styles who really lack this ability to understand what's going on internally because they've learned to deny and suppress those feelings from right. early Right. And they age. work toward us like this arm's length idea yes. fits very well with that and and you know the driving force of anorexia is not typically uh about necessarily weight loss it's about having something that is so controllable yep. and by Control. by being able to control an outcome like that with your body is so internally reinforcing yeah so that is is why these like avoid avoidance is the ability that you want to avoid discomfort right is is avoiding means you're trying to avoid being uncomfortable exactly and so the the idea of control is sort of the anti um the anti-vulnerability and and that relationship to avoidance is really really powerful yeah and so you know there is these kind of three things that they highlighted in terms of coping strategies you know way to like regulate their emotions or deal with their emotions and we see you know Obviously, she has casual relationships with men. We see yes. that she only really, yeah. Even the men that she's with don't really know her. She calls it. She says some something about loving a stranger. Yeah, yeah. That that really resonates. That's very like her. 
that's her, how she interacts with others. Really, you don't yeah. see her have like girlfriends either. It's like only men. She has one girlfriend, and they oh, Mag- can stand each other. <laughs> that was a really funny scene. Uh, yeah, she's like a very dramatic actress or something, right? Yeah, it was Mag wild. Wildwood. <laughs> she's not the one who cries in the mirror, right? That was just no. Like that a was a random woman. lady, and I was I, like, "Is this like? About- is this like a college?" Party? Like, what is, is this Talk analogous? about you booked it. Like, all your job is to just stand there and laugh in a mirror, and then they do your makeup, and then you just sob in yeah. a mirror. I yeah. was like, how do I book this job? I mean, she... she Iconic. She crushed and it. forever. She crushed You're in it. Breakfast at Tiffany's. I know. I know. Uh, anyway, so, yeah, there's this, this using alcohol, having casual relationships, and then, you know, the under-overeating... We know Audrey Hepburn is a very thin woman, but we see that Doc Golightly, when he sees her, just cannot stop about how thin she is. Yeah. And just talks so much about how, how much weight she, she's lost. And mm-hmm. so that was the only kind of like, oh, maybe, I don't know, uh, kind of uh, comment about her weight in that we mm-hmm. at least know that it has fluctuated significantly. Right, um, right. And so... I thought that was really interesting, really thinking about those attachment styles and how they relate to, um, you know, how people cope and, you know, the, the way that they relate to others in adulthood. Well, and I think, you know, we, I, I think we really do, we really can speak to just all of her behaviors tie so nicely into this exact avoidant, you know, avoidant reaction and attachment yeah. style and, and coping strategy. It all fits within borderline personality disorder, which is highly comorbid with eating disorders mm-hmm. and substance use disorders. Mm-hmm. Um, and and we're seeing this sort of glamorized version. Of... Right. It's so like, yeah, glamorous. And she has this like cute apartment and she's she's just so the way that they even portray she's her so quirky. is so quirky. So her cute. couch is a bathtub. Right. You know, she puts her phone in her suitcase because she doesn't like how it sounds. You know, even her like uh, eye mask. When she's eye mask sleeping. and earplugs. Yep. Her earplugs look like chandelier earrings. They're, I mean, they're cute, but you know, they're so cute. <laughs> they're so cute. But it's just, yeah, it's very much like this uh, cartoon ish version of like pretty serious uh, trauma and like issues that that she's dealing with. And that men are conditioned to want to condescend to save. A hundred percent. Yeah. It's dark. Yeah. Um, something that's not dark is <laughs> I found an article that was really fixated on her talking about the mean reds. Do you remember when she's talking about the mean reds? It is mm. an emotional state that she talks about. So there's oh. there's this you know point very early when she's meeting Paul is you know she's like do you ever have the mean reds and he's like what is that like the blues? She's like no, the mean reds. Uh, this is a quote. The mean reds are horrible. You're afraid and you sweat like hell, but you don't know what you're afraid of except something bad is going to happen. Only you don't know what it is, and. Yeah, so I let let alone let you I know, made a face. That, I made that, such a what face. What that actually refers to emotionally, um, but it reminds me of color synesthesia. <laughs> okay, <laughs> which is like people who, when they think about uh, an emotion, so it's emotion color synesthesia. So 
they mm-hmm. think about an emotion, each emotion is associated with a color. And the very cool thing, I saw this case study, um, and I'm going to get into some real experimental psychology, but <laughs> <laughs> that I thought was so fascinating is that this patient that ascribes uh, colors to emotions shows uh-huh. a Stroop-like effect. And now the Stroop task is this yeah. experimental psychology task. The where Stroop they have, task. Yep. Where they have it's people, hard. It is really hard. And I'm sure some people have done it just like online, like a BuzzFeed Y'all, quiz. Google Stroop task and, <laughs> yeah. and, and, and try it. Yeah. It's really easy. It's, you just need a picture. Yep. And so basically what they do in the lab, you know, they have you look at a screen that has different uh, words that are colors. Uh-huh. And the words f- that are printed in a, in a yep. color. So it will say red. It will say blue. And then the font color will be either congruent with that word or incongruent. So you would either have a a word that says red printed in red, or you might have a word that says red that's printed in green. And they measure your response time in terms of naming what the color is because your brain automatically reads faster than it processes, you know, what you're actually doing. And so this person actually, if there was a congruent emotion written on the screen that was in the right color, she would respond faster than if there was the emotion written on the screen in the quote unquote wrong color, which I was just like, oh my God, that's, that's so incredible. Like people, that is so interesting. People really like think like that. And so it was (laughs) this rabbit hole of like the mean reds, which is like something she talked about just a couple of times, but it's possible that she's really talking about like she sees anger or she sees these emotions in colors when she's having a panic attack right, right, right. It's yeah. like a, such, but such still a clear... i mean there's a color <laughs> yeah pa- totally. perhaps you know red is panic yeah red is panic yeah. we haven't talked about panic attacks yet on here but we will oh we will we will <laughs> don't you worry. um i got a whole spiel <laughs> um yeah no i mean her uh, like it will a of all at the time the vocabulary to talk about emotions was so small True. So minimal. Yeah. So few, so far between. And so I think it makes a lot of sense her saying like, oh, I've got this thing. Right. I've got this thing. I also think like knowing what what was known of Truman Capote and knowing all these things, like I think he was really intrigued by mental illness. Mm-hmm. I think he was really like interested in women's troubles. Right. Uh, and this concept of sometimes I see red I, and I lose control and I don't know what's happening. Yeah. Um, which for those of you who don't know much about panic attacks, like the symptoms of panic attacks are like flushed face, yeah. right? So literally possibly just heart seeing racing. red in that heart racing, shortness of breath, um, difficulty swallowing. Uh, I mean, people like report your body like feels they're hot. having a heart attack. Or the, yeah. Uh, one of the symptoms is thinking you are going crazy or thinking you are dying. Yep. Thinking you are dying. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and so these symptoms that she's describing, right, are are panic attacks. Also, a panic attack and an anxiety attack is the same thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just like in the diagnostic statistics and statistical manual, it is defined as panic and not an anxiety attack. As a, so they separate it from anxiety. Um, but yeah, I mean, I also think like she has, she works so hard to control all of her emotions. Yeah. That it makes total sense that that the sort of counter swing is when she loses total control of her emotions, right? right? When she pan, when she 
when she freaks out when her brother dies. Again, not judging the freak out when her brother dies, oh, but her all. response is to destroy everything, everything around yeah. her. Like completely which lose Which is control. a very volatile reaction yeah. to this. I mean, talking about panic, right? Like she, this is a very, um, you know, oh, can you hear that? Can you hear those dogs growling outside? They're wrestling. Is it? Oh, because he would just breathe deeply and I was worried it was that. <laughs> Oh, no, it was mine. Okay. It was mine. Who knows if it'll show up on the recording. So many dogs, so little time. So many dogs, so little dogs. <laughs> um, well, I feel like we... I know. I feel like we we, we did it. I feel it. like we podcasted. We did it. We crushed it. We this, crushed it. This movie was better, a better pick than I thought it was going to be. Like, I was like, I don't know, it's quirky. And then, <laughs> then watching it, I was like, whoa, there's a lot. Whoa. There's a lot. There was... Some jugs to position. <laughs> yes, callback. Then there will be some jugs to position between this movie and our movie next week. Have you picked it already? Nope. Okay. But it's not going to be Breakfast at Tiffany. <laughs> there you go. That's good. I could not right? do this again. What if I did Breakfast Club and then we just do breakfast themed films? <laughs> I mean, I've wanted to do like Julia Roberts' entire filmography. Uh, listen, listen, I audience know that every single week we have to make a conscious choice not to watch literally film. literally yes every week Ugh. uh no we've got we've got some good ones coming in mm-hmm. coming down the pipe <laughs> <laughs> all right the the, int- the, the outro we music has it. been playing yeah we're we're out of here i have been dr jd barton and i have been dr joanna witkin we are at Real Psych on Instagram. Follow us, leave us and comments, like us, review and us, subscribe, yep. and please tell more friends. You guys are doing such a great job of being. Our listenership is very consistent. It is. We are so thankful for you, and uh, just tell uh, tell a friend. Yeah, it's been real, Psych. It's been real, <laughs> Psych. <laughs> I, I hate us. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.